Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Every day we talk about disruption as if it's a positive within the business and consumer environment. But for companies today, both large and small, an array of challenges and potentially disruptive events can have a real negative impact on the company, its earnings, its employees, its customers, and its executives. The degree to which companies can anticipate and prepare for that disruption has a deep impact on how it comes out on the other end. What's more, many of these approaches and techniques that today's companies can and should adhere to are perhaps applicable to the lives of all of us. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Howard Conruther. He's the James G. Dinan Professor of Decision Science and Public Policy and co-director of the Center for Risk Management and Decision Processes at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And it is my pleasure to welcome Howard Conruther back to this program to talk about his new book, Mastering Catastrophic Risk, How Companies Are Coping with Disruption. Howard, thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jeff. When we look at the risk that companies are facing today, is there a greater risk or is it simply that the dangers and the events are happening at a faster pace than they have previously? Well, I think it's a combination of both, Jeff. Uh, there is definitely events that are happening more rapidly, partly because of uh, the global aspects and our interdependencies and a whole variety of factors and actually people moving in to hazard-prone areas. But there also is evidence that, that these events are more intense than they have been in the past. Uh, and as a result, uh, we have these two factors uh, intersecting with each other. How much time, not in terms of, of literal time, but in terms of percentage of time, how much time do companies need to spend looking at this potential for long-term risk today? Well, uh, what we have found in our book, uh, as you mentioned, Mastering Catastrophic Risk, uh, that when we interviewed over 100 of S the S&P uh, executives, risk managers and CEOs, and also some board members, uh, is that catastrophic risk is now high on their agendas. And as a result, they're spending a great deal more time uh, with this. This has happened really over the last 15 to 20 years. I'd say after 9 11. That was a watershed, and I think uh, a variety of natural disasters occurred since that time, as well as the financial crisis. Uh, uh, firms are now really feeling that this is an important area for them to think about very systematically. In terms of acting on that risk, we live in this information age. We're flooded with information, and yet oftentimes when these catastrophes strike, whatever their nature, it's really imperative, as you talk about for companies to act with imperfect information. Talk a little about that. Well, I think that is a very, very important point that you're bringing up, Jeff. Uh, we, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to happen. And when we're dealing with low probability events, and let's be, we're fortunate to say that they are still low probability, although they're higher now than they have been in the past, uh, there's a tendency for uh, all individuals to put them out of their mind and say that they're not going to happen to me. And often it takes a particular disaster for them to be on people's agenda and on firms' agendas. And that's what we found really in our interviews. Almost all the firms that we talked to indicated that it was only after some of these events occurred, some of these catastrophes or disruptions or adverse events occurred, that they were then paying attention to it in a ways that they had not done beforehand. Of course, the danger in that 
is that you start paying attention to the event that's already happened and, and you miss the potential dangers of the event that may be down the road. I think that's exactly right. And I think that firms are also beginning to recognize that they can't generalize from this one event to other events that may occur. And so if they actually somehow put on their agenda that we're going to prepare for a particular event like a pandemic or a flu outbreak, and it may be a very different pandemic later on, or a natural disaster. They may feel that they have to take certain steps for a particular disaster, and then there's, a, there's one of a different kind that occurs. And so there's a real need to not only learn from these events, but to actually try as best you can to think about worst case scenarios that might be broader than just the previous one. And how are companies adding to personnel in terms of of people to really ascertain the potential for these events and to deal with possible events down the road? And how are they interacting with other people in the company that may not be thinking about these things? Well, I think the one thing that uh, is now becoming clear is that there is a whole uh, phenomenon, uh, enterprise risk management, uh, uh, which is now a part of what firms are doing. And so there is now a tendency by the firms, certainly that we interviewed, uh, to make sure that this is not just uh, lodged at the top of the level, at the CEO level uh, or the board level, but that it goes down among all employees. So I think everyone is now being brought into the act. And to the extent that firms aren't doing that, that is certainly one of the recommendations. That you really uh, that we have at the, in our checklist at the end of the book. You really want to make sure that everyone in the organization is involved because they each have a role to play when it comes to dealing with these events. And one of the things that you talk about is that these events need to be looked at in a way as value creation. Explain what you mean by that. Well, in some sense, what happens with respect to a, dis- a, a disruption or an adverse event? Uh, and we asked all the firms not necessarily to focus on a particular event that we had in mind, but to talk about what actually happened to them. When you have those adverse events, they really open up opportunities for the firm to reflect on what their risk appetite is, what their risk tolerance it will be, and then to begin to prepare for these things in a way that actually gives them an opportunity to actually, as you said, create value. By taking protective measures in advance, you have a degree of freedom to deal with uh, the future in a way that you otherwise might not. And you can avoid essentially that concern that maybe some event, is, some disruption is going to occur that might actually cause severe problems to the firm because you've protected yourself or at least reduced the likelihood of them, their occurrence. Given the potential for these occurrences today, whether you have an appetite or not for risk or whatever your risk tolerance is, you really don't have a choice today, it seems. Well, in some sense, that is true. Uh, you, you, I mean, in a sense, you always have a choice by saying, I, don't, I want to ignore them. But you do that at your own peril. And I think that there is really an interesting question with respect to firms wanting to do that in order to save money now. And I think one of the real challenges that all firms, and that all of us have as individuals, is myopia. We tend to focus on short-term horizons. And so there's a real challenge to getting this on the agenda before the next event occurs. And I think one of the ways to do this is for 
firms to begin to reflect on what these worst case scenarios are and also to present information not only on the likelihood of an event occurring next year, which could be very low, like one in a hundred or one even one in five hundred. And as a result of that, you may say, I don't want to worry about it, but to stretch the time horizon and indicate that when you have a one in a hundred chance of an event occurring, and that's likely to occur in any given year, if you stretch your time horizon to 25 years, that's a probability that is going to be greater than one and five. And if you do that, then, then there's a tendency for people to pay attention. It's exactly the same probability, but you've actually stretched the time horizon and gotten uh, individuals, managers, and decision makers to think about this over a longer stretch of time. Is there a difference in the way large versus small companies need to be thinking about this? Well, I think there is a challenge, a greater challenge for small companies because they have to have the resources in order to be able to deal with this. And they may say, look, we just can't afford to invest in our protective measures now. And we talk about that in the book. Uh, partly on the basis of talking with all of the, uh, these managers, but also reflecting on how do you make this accessible to a smaller firm. And one way to do this is if you have uh, a high upfront cost associated with investing in some protective measure, that could be spread over time with a longer-term loan, so your, in, uh, your annual costs are going to be much smaller. And if you couple that with the idea that you will get uh, a lower insurance premium by protecting yourself against these events and that that premium reduction might be actually greater than the loan, then you can avoid some of the financial costs that a small business or even a large business, I uh, mean this is true for both large and small firms, uh, would have. So stretching time horizons, giving people loans, trying to tie them together with other kinds of protective measures like an insurance policy immediately puts this issue in on the agenda in a way that I think firms can deal with them. And certainly small firms need to be thinking about them as well. I mean, it's easy to say that, that as a smaller company that they can put that off, but in fact they need to be devoting arguably more time to thinking about these potential problems. Well, I think that's true, Jeff. I mean, in some sense, what you have here is a small firm who, if, if they ignore an event and say, this is below my threshold level of concern or I can't afford to do this now, I don't want to think about it, uh, if that event happens, they could be go, go bankrupt. And that's something I'm sure they would like to try to avoid. And so in some sense, by having them focus on worst-case scenarios and figuring out a way to try to deal with them now before they occur, uh, they uh, in, a, in many ways are going to preserve their own organization. How does the global nature of business today enter into this overall equation we've been talking about? Well, we talk a lot about that in the book, uh, the fact that there's interdependencies and that uh, many of these disasters have tremendous ripple effects. Let me give you one example. The Fukushima uh, earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear power meltdown, or almost meltdown, in uh, Japan in uh, 19, 2011 uh, raised a lot of questions for firms around the world and American companies who were relying on inputs for their operations, like the automobile companies, found that they had a source of supply that actually wasn't able
able to provide them with the kind of material that they needed. And so their own activities and their own operations were somewhat delayed. And I think this general problem with supply chain being one example, but the global nature of these risks means that something that happens in another part of the world may actually impact on many, many countries elsewhere. The financial crisis certainly illustrates that as well in the context of all parts of the world were affected by what happened here uh, in the United States. How valuable is it studying past disasters, even if they're not potentially the same as ones in the future? Well, uh, that's a really great question because in some sense you learn from every kind of disruption and event. And, some, and, and let me push your question even one, one step further. Near misses, things that haven't occurred, can provide a great deal of in, information to uh, an organization. And if they can study these near misses, uh, then they're in a better position to actually for, prepare for ones that might occur. And this has been true. The airline industry is a great example of this. They look at any an example of disasters that could have occurred that may not and take steps to prepare as a result of that. What are the business sectors that have been the best at this, and what are some of the sectors that have been the worst? Well, I think the sectors that have been the best at this are the ones that have experienced these crises. The financial uh, sector, I think, has paid a great deal of attention to these uh, events, and they've been focusing on their risk appetite and risk tolerance in a way that they hadn't before uh, they actually experienced the financial crisis. I think that firms that have had natural disasters, Hurricane Katrina and Fukushima, are ones where these firms have actually paid attention to them in a way that they haven't. I used the supply chain just a few moments ago to illustrate essentially what happened after Japan. And many of these firms that indicated to us that they were looking at several sources of supply where they may have relied on just one in the past. Firms that have not had those disasters, and it's hard to, to necessarily limit that to any particular sector, uh, but I think that uh, there are areas where they have not been exposed to these disasters are ones that have had a challenge in terms of dealing with them because they haven't really experienced them and then there's a tendency to say they're not going to happen to me. How deep in the organization does this concern need to go? Well, as I indicated a few moments ago, with enterprise risk management, the entire organization has to be involved. And I think each organization will have their own sets of uh, managers and, and structure to determine where they want to go. But I think the general issue and the general point that we are making in the book and when we come up with a checklist to how to improve behavior is that all parts of the organization should know about this. Maybe some of them may not be making actual decisions, but they should be aware of the possibility of catastrophic risk and then come up with some ideas and suggestions on how to deal with them. So I would say going deeper is better in general. Uh, how deep you want to go, uh, it depends upon what uh, your, your structure is, your culture is, and frankly, how much time and energy you want to have certain groups of individuals put, put into thinking about the problem. Should companies be kind of wargaming this stuff out? 
Well, I, uh, you know, we don't get into this in a lot of details. I know there are groups that have done a lot on wargaming. Rand Corporation is one where they actually do simulations. I think that they're, the one area that we do uh, indicate that uh, firms are doing more of are tabletop simulations, uh, uh, drills to prepare for a disaster that hasn't occurred. And we actually start the book with Morgan Stanley that actually uh, have re- used the 1993 World Trade Center disaster. And Richard Rascaller, the CEO, actually prepared everyone for another disaster. And they had emergency drills beforehand. And then when 9-11 came, they were extremely successful in getting most of their firm out of the building before they, it, it turned the World Trade Center before it collapsed. Mm -hmm. What about small potential disasters? I mean, sometimes you would get the feeling that that by preparing for the worst, by worrying about the big events, that you miss the small, low-probability events that, that in the long run can be just as painful or just as disastrous. Well, low-probability events, uh, small events, uh, there are lessons from lear- learning from them as well. They're harder for, p- for firms to pay attention because they may say, look, we really weren't affected by that in a serious enough way. But there's a reason to think about all these events in some way when you're actually thinking about preparing for a big one. And you know, there may be a lot of lessons that one can learn from a small event, but it's harder to get on the agenda. Uh, I think that one of the classic examples uh, of that we mentioned in the book is uh, terrorism and the way the insurance industry dealt with this. They actually were, uh, prior to 9-11, had both the World Trade Center disaster of 1993 that wasn't huge and did cost them a lot of money, Oklahoma City uh, in 1995 and uh, the destruction to uh, one of the federal buildings also did not cost them a lot of money. Uh, And as a result, they really weren't paying attention to terrorism as a risk that they should actually single out and think about how much they would charge if Someone was going to be protected against that until 9-11 occurred. And so they ignored this, even though those events were relatively large. What's interesting, of course, as, as you may know, uh, as people may know, is that after 9-11, uh, the insurance industry decided that they couldn't cover terrorism anymore, and you had a, a public-private partnership, uh, the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, that got passed in 2002 uh, that actually brought the public sector to ha- handle uh, large losses. And that actually then led them to be willing to provide protection. Uh, but it took that 9-11 to get them uh, to put this on the agenda. And we're not talking about small firms here. We're talking about large firms that ignore these events. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how important the culture of an organization is in being willing to accept this preparation. Well, I think culture is very important, and it does start at the top. You have uh, you have the executives and the, the CEO and the board who are now paying attention to these events. That's going to pervade the culture, and so you need guidance from the top. But culture is very important, and firms that have adopted enterprise risk management and have actually put that high on their agenda are going to be in a better position to prepare for this. So I would say that uh, uh, that every firm has to sort of determine how they want to deal with this 
and try to prepare in advance, even if they haven't had these disasters, know that they now could be high on their agenda in the future. And so uh, absolutely culture uh, plays a key role here. What role does blame and responsibility play in looking at, at other events or after action reports on events and how useful is that? I think blame and responsibility are very important in the sense that firms want to maintain their reputations. And even if they may be blamed unfairly, they will say, maybe we better do some things now to show that we're operating in a safe manner and avoid the blame and possibly the responsibility. And so to the extent that one can sort of tie these concepts to a firm's preparation so that they take steps now rather than waiting for the, uh, to, to possibly be blamed, and they may feel it's unfair that they're blamed, then you have a real way to sort of take steps uh, to, to actually uh, convince firms that it might be a useful thing, a useful challenge for them to actually take steps now by thinking about these worst-case scenarios and what impact it might have on the way their reputation is viewed. And finally, talk a little bit about what you're hearing and seeing with respect to CEOs and, and executives in terms of their willingness today to really look at this. There's no question that executives are now paying attention. I mean, when we started the Wharton Risk Management and Decision Process Center, which I co-direct with Bob Meyer, and when Mike Yuseem started the Leadership Center, and this is a joint project between our two centers, uh, we the catastrophic risk was not high on uh, the agenda. Uh, we're, uh, our risk center is now almost 40 years, uh, 35 years old, and we really found that when we started, and our interest was in these low probability events, there were very few people who were concerned about this. I always kid people and say my mother was the one person who was willing to pay attention. Uh, and now everyone is paying attention to these events, and in a way that we feel there's an opportunity to really ma make some changes. So this has really been a, a sea change, I think, uh, and we've seen that with our own activities, and, and we saw this really frankly with the book because when we asked all of the executives uh, that we interviewed questions what's the most adverse event that they experienced none of them had a problem talking about that and then when we asked them how they dealt with it they all said it has now uh, impacted uh, on how they are proceeding and and they also pointed out that their board of directors are extremely concerned about these issues in ways they haven't been before Howard Conruther, he's the co-author of Mastering Catastrophic Risk, How Companies Are Coping with Disruption. Howard, I thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Well, it was a pleasure to be with you, Jeff, and I appreciated your very insightful questions. Thank you.